0: It's 4 o'clock. Welcome
1: to Tutel and Nuanez, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football. No. Sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris Studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Hello, Montana. Travis DeCure speaking for the first time since the end of last season. And... Who's going to be better? Who's going to be worse? NFL edition. It is 2TEL 1029 ESPN Radio. Outstanding to be with you on this very important and very noteworthy Tuesday afternoon. We'll get to all the particulars here in just a little bit, but glad to be with you. Thanks for letting us be there uh, on this fine, fine day. We appreciate it very much. If you would like to listen live and you're not around your radios, you're in and out of your car, whatever it might be, check us out on your phones, computers, tablets, etc. It's called the World Wide Web, and we are there, 1029ESPN.com. You'll listen live all the time on the website via the stream. Thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank your opportunity if you want to pick up your phone and call 361-3688 is the phone number 361-3688 that phone number all guests join us via the Rankish Brothers RV phone line let's take a look at what we have in the show today earlier this afternoon Travis DeCure uh, joined uh, a whole group of folks doing a, a press conference style Zoom call with a number of members of the media and it was uh, great to talk to Coach DeCure uh, from the sunny confines of his uh, I believe back porch is what we're looking at there and uh and uh, a lot to say i thought i thought there's uh as usual really good content really interesting comments from coach to uh we're looking forward to having coach to on here in the next couple of weeks uh just exclusively on the show but i thought uh covered a lot of ground i think some questions out there you know such an odd way for the season to end there was no closure for anybody first and foremost for the players and the coaches as it pertains to you know the basketball season is there getting off the bus to go to the shoot-around for their first game of the postseason, and then they get back on the bus, and that's it, and that's all. Uh, but also, obviously, no you know, game-winning, game-losing press conferences, question and answers, and all that kind of stuff. So we uh, got into that a fair amount with Coach DeCure and some other things uh, in the next hour, by the way. Who's the GOAT, according to Travis DeCure? no uncertain answer not no <laughs> surprise either from Travis Secure so we'll get into that we also uh you had a couple of things our uh, our good our good buddy Ty Gregorak sending out some texts about Don Shula and some uh well we talked about the realm of possibility being very large yesterday and some what ifs about that so I thought worth you know talking about today some fun uh conversation starters from him we'll also get into a little bit of high school stuff Julius Mims headed to a JC out of high school from the state of Montana. Something we don't see out of the high school level in the state of Montana very much the reigning high jump ja- a high jump champion, excuse me class double A, but he's a he's 6 he's a 6 7 forward for crying out loud with obviously the leaping ability of anybody you can imagine. And mm-hmm. so, you know, maybe going to develop a little bit at the JC level. So, we'll get into all that and yes, top of the hour. Who's going to be better? Who's going to be worse next year, NFL edition? So there you go. That's the show. That's what we're dealing with today. Now, what else are we dealing with today? It's day two of the staged phase one reopening. Bars, restaurants are are some of them. Many of them have opened at some level. And it also happens to be Cinco de Mayo, which is a major holiday in Mexico. And I would say a major adopted holiday in the United States. And if ever there was any more reason, Colton Nuanas is 33 years old. As I live and breathe (laughs) sitting here looking at you, you are a veteran. Welcome to manhood.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. I think that's like 33 is the new 23 or new 22, right? You know, I don't know. I don't don't know. You used to be held accountable as a man when you were like 18. Yeah. Now I don't think we do that as much in society anymore. You have a little leeway until you're like 25, but then there's this other like just screw around period from like 25 to 30. But then when you get to 32 – And it's like threshold time. And then you're 33, and now all of a sudden you're peers with people that are 30 years older and as much as 8 to 10 years younger. I think it's a fascinating age to be.
1: Well, I've always said 39 is the new 70, and that's how I feel. And so, (laughs) you know, well, well, whether that means I can't be friends with anybody under the age of 50, I don't know. But I think I'm friends with you, so that uh, must count for something. Uh, But, you know, tack another one onto the tally. Congratulations. And uh, you know, you wore a very sporting shirt. Anchors on a short sleeve button up. You're looking very dapper. Now, I don't want you to divulge like you know too much or whatever here. Sure. But you know, normally there may be some you know congregation at some establishment uh, or mints around uh-huh, town or uh-huh. whatever it might be. But tonight, what in house is that the deal? Yes, yeah, can have some
0: of, folks over and serve some tacos on the back porch. You have know? you thought about
1: getting one of those? like 12 foot in diameter so six feet from you hula hoops that just keeps everybody out like it comes to a point you wear it like on a hat on your head and it's just a hula hoop
0: perfectly around my head (laughs) (laughs)
1: you you do have a big dome giant dome it is a fact all right well hey happy birthday thanks brother appreciate it um Let's get into uh, some basketball uh, fun today to, uh, to talk with coach Travis to again, like as I said off the top, it's been a while, first of all, since anybody's really had a chance to talk to him. And I think too, just given the way everything ended and still, even when it was over, you weren't sure if it was over, over and what, you know, any, anything that might happen. But at this point, like we all know what the deal is and everybody has basically moved on at some level, you know, of, of understanding, but, Um, to be able to you know hear from him directly uh, you'll hear a little bit about the end of season I think a lot more about sort of next season where they're at now in the recruiting process and a couple of transfers and some freshmen and some guys coming off of uh, uh, sitting out a year their 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 uh, waiver years or non-waiver years I guess it is and so uh, there's plenty of stuff there but let's hear from Travis DeCure uh, just off the top this is uh, a, a fair piece of 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 sound about four four and a half minutes that includes several questions uh just in general about the end of the year and kind of where we're at in the recruiting process and sort of maybe some of the obvious ones that you would ask off the top so we felt like it was worth listening to the whole thing of so here you go here's travis secure from just about an hour and a half ago
0: the ending of last season is just something that hasn't happened really ever um you've had some time to kind of digest what happened to the end of your season, your seniors seeing their seasons end like that, just what's kind of gone through your mind as, you know, the world's kind of dealt with this process.
2: You, you, you tend to say that you've had a run or streaks of success of postseasons and things like that. And, you know, you you almost don't know what it feels like to end the season the way we ended one. Um, And so it's very difficult. And, you know, the toughest thing is just not really having closure for your seniors. You know, that, that that really is the toughest part for us. Uh, I th- I'm not sure we've gotten over that yet. Um, I've had some conversations with the seniors, but I, I owe each of them at least one or two more uh, end of the year. Thank you. That a boys. Good luck. What else can we do to, to help you move forward? But uh, the rest of the group, I think, has done a good job of changing gears and moving on. But uh, it, it, it's hard to describe. I can't really tell you what it felt like and what it was we went through. I think every time someone asks me a question, I give them a different answer.
0: Travis, this last uh, little while, recruiting in a completely different fashion. So how do you adjust your strategy when it comes to getting out there recruiting, especially during this late period when you can't really bring guys to campus? All you can really do is call them.
2: Well, you, you, you know that everyone's up against the same uh, issues. For us, um, we kind of treated April like May, where you can't go out. You, you, you can have guys on campus, but you can't go out. And so we just got on the phone and, and, and got after it a little bit. Uh, most of the kids were waiting for this thing to open up to take visits. And you get a little closer to that time where you figured out by the time we got to the 15th of, of, of April that it wasn't going to open up. Kids didn't want to lose out on opportunities. So, you know, for one, we, we get a transfer that's been on campus and played in our environment and, and has field for conference. You've seen the banners. So the sales pitch was a lot different than uh, anyone else that we probably were trying to get. But uh, you just hit the ground running, get aggressive over the phone, text messages, and hopefully you get some guys to bite. Uh, I think there's still some kids out there waiting for visits, but it's not going to happen.
0: It, it's those two transfers. What do you think they bring to the table? I mean, obviously Cam Parker, great playmaker. Cam Satterwhite, a great athlete. So how do you hope they fit in?
2: Combination of things. You know, I, I think the biggest thing for us, we wanted to get old fast. We, we were very young last year. We, we had three guys in new roles. Said was the only one really even close to the role that, that he carried over from the year before. Um, it was a lot of pressure on those three seniors to, to carry the load every night. Um, the freshmen had to hit the ground running uh, at a very high level. Uh, I sensed some burnout at the end of the year a little bit. And so we needed to balance out our roster a little bit with some older guys. And so we knew we needed at least one grad transfer. Um, the guard spot we thought was, was an area for us uh, to improve upon defensively. Maybe a guy that could create his own shot. That's where Cam Satterwhite came in. A score that had length and athleticism. Um, that could defend the way we want to defend. And then Cameron Parker, he was a can't miss, to be honest with you. A young man that distributes the ball the way he does. Um, fits our style of play offensively the way he does. Um, I don't know that there was a high need necessarily when you look at our numbers for a a point guard per se, Um, but he's about as pure as they come and hard to find, and we just just couldn't pass.
1: Coach, when you talk about the the class that you got coming in between freshmen that are coming in, transfers that are coming in, and guys who've been on your roster that are going to get their eligibility now you know, after sitting out a year, you got a ton of talent on your team right now. Is it possible to have too much talent or too many guys who are ready right now to go?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we had a little bit of that issue in 2017. We had some injuries mid year, I think, that, that really phased into that, um, where we, we weren't 100% going into the season and, you know, had a guy get cleared just a little bit before conference. And, and so. When you got a guy not playing, goes from no minutes to 30 minutes, it, it's way more impactful than having some build-up through the summer and the spring. So as long as everyone's healthy and they have a fair chance to compete with each other, I think we'll be fine. I, I think the biggest strength with the group we have returning is chemistry. Um, they all want to win. Uh, they're all willing to make sacrifices for the team. They all have already done that in some way or another. Um, so I, I think we have the right characteristics of a group that on paper may be very talented um that will be willing to compete and share. So there you
1: go. Travis the cure uh opening few minutes from from his Zoom press conference earlier and we'll bring you more well we actually have some more sound for you here in this first segment a little bit more probably later on in the week as well. But coming out of that culture, one thing is is we wanted to just take a look at all the different guys and where they're coming from because this is the most um This is the most guys that are going to be eligible and on the team and and ready to go uh, next year that are coming from different circumstances. You have a, a couple of guys who've been with the program the whole way through and are kind of veteran guys. you got a set of guys who were freshmen last year, played a lot of minutes, and are going into their sophomore season with that experience and also a ton of competition. you got four incoming freshmen uh, you know, like you have in, in maybe a, a standard class. You have a grad transfer, another transfer who's hoping to be eligible and, and and we think might be eligible, and then two other guys who were on the team and had to sit out because they weren't eligible in terms of the transfer. They were eligible, but they didn't have the, the, the they had to sit out a year for the transfer that are now going to be done with that time and be able to go. So every way that you can have a kid available to play, Travis DeCure and his staff have one or two or three or four next year and that is that's an unbelievable balancing act and he sort of alluded to it like hey yeah it is possible to have too many guys that are ready to go that are able to play and there's only one you know there's there's only five dudes playing 40 minutes a game and that's the you know the best you got to do and that's why the summer i think is critical for the grizzlies because like you say you gotta roll the ball out there and let the cream rise to the top figure out who it's going to be because you know it, it, it can't be everyone
0: and i mean, montana lost Six outstanding seniors off of a team that won 26 games back-to-back years, and they're going to be even more new next year. That's the craziest part. The narrative all last year, up until when they kind of figured it out and they had that nice eight-game winning streak, was how are these guys going to mesh? When are they going to mesh? They're going to have the same challenges this year, maybe even more, because I think that it's one thing trying to indoctrinate freshmen into playing Division one basketball, getting them ready to play Division one basketball. And certainly Derek Carter-Hollinger, Josh Vasquez, and Kyle Owens all had their growing pains last year, but they all had great moments as well. Derek, Carter, Derek Carter-Hollinger, obviously the freshman of the year in the Big Sky Conference. But I think it's sometimes even more challenging when you have seniors or when you have transfer seniors especially because mm-hmm. a guy like Michael Stedman, he sat out for a whole year. He sacrificed that, like Travis Secure said, for the program. That's great. But make no mistake, he's going to be trying to get his. They need him to because I think that they think he's going to be an all-conference player. But then how does that mesh then with a variety of other transfers? How do those guys mesh with a couple – I mean, as we'll get to, Travis Takir mentioned in the press conference, he said, we don't, we only have two veterans, really, guys that have played any yeah, substantial – we we'll that mid, sound here in just I a mean, minute. But how do those guys react because they might – have actually diminished
1: roles sometimes it's so interesting because you have anytime you have a guy who's coming in with one year of eligibility the assumption from everybody outside the program and certainly you would assume from the the player himself is that he's here to play he ain't here to watch and so when you talk about michael stedman sitting out a year to have his eligibility cam setter white a grad transfer who's got one year of eligibility and then you got timmy falls who's been with the program the whole time entering his senior season with you know now with one year of eligibility there's three guys right there and who even knows how that's going to work because you got a ton of players beyond you know uh, uh that is at the you know at the junior and especially sophomore and younger levels that are ready to go uh and i I must say this is this is going to be an interesting dance the other part of this though too and i think it's worth noting it's two Tell the one is 1029 espn radio the idea of meshing and playing together the class that came through you know again with 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 26 wins and back-to-back seasons and all that, and those guys, especially the the four guys that were seniors, uh, their junior and senior years altogether, that's the exception, man, in this day and age. That is the thing that doesn't happen. The norm is you got not a brand new team but a huge overturn one way or another year in and year out and a bunch of guys playing for your team that were not playing for your team the year before whether it's because they're from somewhere else or they were on the bench but in any case the learning to mesh and play together it's just par for the course like entering a season where you're like hey we got our roles defined we kind of know what we're doing we're hitting we're starting in in stage four not stage one or whatever it is that doesn't happen really now man it just doesn't and so if it does if you can build a program that does have that huge luxury major advantage but i don't think this is a disadvantage in relation to most of the programs at this point in time
0: no but it's going to be a, a trying season especially at first and especially depending on how if and when summer practices are impacted that's going to impact the way that this team comes together. It's a
1: major for, for 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 the grizzlies to have this summer right to work
0: but when you look at but I mean, Travis DeCure's done this once before. He inherited a program that had some stalwart seniors, although Martin Burning was also a, a transfer, but he had some guys that were four-year guys, like Jordan Gregory, Brandon G. Feller, Jack Lopez, guys like that. Sure. And then he went with the first wave of transfers. And that senior class, I mean, you talk about those six guys, Michael O'Guine Bobby Moorhead were the only ones that were high school recruits because he had Ahmad Rory as a transfer, Jamar Co as a transfer, um, Donovan Dorsey as a transfer, So, we talked about this. They had a hard time finding their hierarchy, honestly, until Jamar Ko actually got hurt. Ironically, Jamar Ko getting hurt was what actually hurt them down the stretch in the NCAA tournament because they didn't have the size that they needed. But who knows what, I mean, Saeed Bridget wouldn't have been able probably to emerge like he did down the stretch in conference Mm -hmm. play two years ago if a Ko would have been healthy. So that's his double-edged sword, right? You don't really know. We can't really predict because obviously Jamar Cole's an all-conference player. But they had too many guys for one basketball for a little while there. I mean, you hearken back to the when all those guys first hit the lineup, with the exception of Dorsey because he was out. But, I mean, they had that year, t- 2017, like Travis DeKear referenced, where Walter Wright was an all-conference player. Ahmad Roy was an all-conference player. Well, they're both true point guards. Those guys together, it was not good. They, yeah. they couldn't coexist. And... That was the only um, quote-unquote down year of Travis DeCure's tenure, a 500 record still, but not the 20 wins that Montana's become accustomed to under Coach DeCure. But then you look at this team, and I I just wonder, I mean, how you get them to all come together because – I think that even though Stedman has never played a minute for the Grizzlies, I think that Michael Stedman's going to be the centerpiece of this thing. I think he's going to be the guy that they're going to try to throw the ball to pretty often. I think that Mac Anderson can be what you want him to be. I think he'll take the challenge. I think he's a coachable kid. I think, he, you know, if, if Travis DeCure says, hey, we just need you to be the rim-to-rim energy guy, you're going to get 15 to 17 minutes a game. Just go block shots and get rebounds and, and do your thing. I, I, he can do it. If you needed to be more of a 25-minute-per-game guy to be the high hedge and the pick-and-roll and stuff like that, he could do that as well. Can he be eight, though? Right, and that's the question. And so, what's the position battle like between like him and Derek Carter Hollinger? Right. Mac Anderson needs to take the next step as a junior, but Derek Carter Hollinger is the reigning freshman of the year. What do you get? I mean, when you have Josh, and and,
1: and I mean, the fact of the matter is, right? Derek, er, uh, Mac Anderson, he's not stretching the floor for you offensively. He can stretch the floor for you a little bit defensively, right? But you know, uh, so can so can Kyle Owens defensively. So I, you know, I don't know. There's there's a number of guys in there, but but I mean, Mac Anderson. He's a post, man. Like, that's what he is He plays around the rim. He plays great around the rim both directions, and he's got great athleticism in that. But it, you're, you're right. I mean, I think, again, this could be, I think, could be and likely will be for him a game-to-game deal. I mean, some some games you're not going to see it much, and then other games it might be
0: his time to shine. When I look at all these guys on the roster, I see a ridiculous amount of athleticism. Yeah. Montana will be the most athletic team in the league next year. There's there's no other team in the league that can throw out perimeter defenders like cam satterwhite and we'll see how cam parker can defend but i assume he'll probably be at least above average Nasim gaskin what i've seen from him in practice the kid from utah who sat out last year he's an elite athlete so he he should be able to defend but that's the number one factor with travis to right you got to answer the bell on defense if sure. you can't play the defense he wants you to play you ain't playing he doesn't care if you can what you can do otherwise if you can't right. play the defense he wants you to play you are not playing but then what we're going to see here is we're going to see position battles across the board for playing time. That's a good thing. How do guys react, though? Because the dominoes, in my mind, could fall literally in any way. Yeah. Literally. I think that uh, – well, I'm looking at right here at all the guys they have on their roster, and I think that Michael Stedman and probably Cam Satterwhite because he's a grad transfer are going to play. They're going to have to earn it, though, and I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I think those guys have, are the only guys you could say have inside tracks. Yeah. But how does a guy like Timmy Falls, who's a fourth year in the program, a senior, react to now having multiple guys? I mean, you're talking about Cam Parker is absolutely a primary ball handler. Josh Vasquez was for a lot of times last year, although Timmy and Josh proved they could play, play together. together. Yep, they did. But how does that work? And then where's Gas can fit in the mix, is he more of a combo guard? Is he more of an on-ball guy? how then do you find minutes and then say a guy like Timmy Falls doesn't get the playing time that maybe he thinks he's earned. Cause I mean, he did, he was a, you know, Dakira mentioned on and off starter, but he was a, star, he was a pretty much full-time starter during conference play each of the last two years. Yeah, He's waited his turn. How do how does he react to that? And you know, Josh Vasquez, he played a ton as a freshman. If he doesn't play as much as a sophomore, does he stay hungry? I'm not sure. So I want to ask you, I mean, what I think that we would be in full agreement that no chance. We're, we're, I'm, we're, I'm playing. We're in full agreement that uh, competition for spots is a good thing. But what do you think of just the, the fragility of, of the potential ego clashing that the Grizz, Grizz could have next year? Well, let's hear what Travis DeCure had to say about that very thing. The question
1: is, is pretty simple. What do the veterans think or what have their reaction been to all of the guys who have come in from – you know, outside or even within the program and, and what that is going to create next year in terms of the roster. Here's what he said. We don't have very many veterans.
2: I mean, if you really look at it, we have two, right? We have Mack and Timmy. The only guys that, that, that are upperclassmen that have played a lot of minutes. So I, it's, I just don't think we have enough experience and, and, and really neither one of them have been full-time starters for their career. So I think we lack enough experience that the, the upperclassmen aren't looking up and, and wondering what it is that we've got going on. We don't have an upperclass, and, and that's the biggest issue for us why we had to make the move. So, um, you know, the freshmen and sophomores that played a lot and, and or expect to play a lot coming in, um, they're going to have to compete for those minutes that maybe, you know, they thought it, it, on paper it looked like maybe more available. But they could still get those minutes they thought that they would get prior to us adding two people. Uh, you just got to go out and earn them. And, and I think that that was a weakness for us this year was that there was no competition for minutes for guys. There were guys out there, whether they played well or not. And that, that led to some of our uh, inconsistencies.
1: So what he said at the end, I think is so critical to answering this question because I think it's a balancing act. On the one hand, you have a situation that he alluded to last year we didn't have we had competition but we didn't have competition for minutes. And you know what there's a difference in competition that's for the sake of of saying that you've won or for winning and competition where there's something on the line here for you. It takes it to a level that you just don't get to if there isn't something that is at stake that's at a loss or at gain for the people who are involved, which is why you have to have competition for minutes at some level. Not having that, he said, maybe led to some of our inconsistencies last year. That said, you also and, and he said this flat out to my question, well, can you have too much talent or too many guys that are ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, you can. And have they gone from maybe not enough of that on one hand to a, a whole lot of that on the other? Maybe. But again, I think that's why having this uh, 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 summer here will be so critical if it comes about for for this, because I think you get the thing that doesn't exist right now, which is not even not even not even role definition or a sort of like a pecking order but i think guys figure out pretty quick well where am i at where do i stand like they don't need to have a sit down necessarily with the coach to sit there and go yeah well this is it some guys maybe but other guys maybe go whoa like is this wow okay i gotta either step it up or that's gonna be it so i don't know you know how you go about that i will say you know the worst season uh you know that that Travis DeCure has had since he's been here what, what what was the I mean they were above 500 but but didn't meet maybe the expectations that everybody had and a lot of that had to do with guys who thought they were going to play that weren't playing and weren't happy about playing and then when they did play not doing the things that they needed to do within the scope of the systems and we know that coach DeCure is a very system guy both directions to make the team successful and I also think that falls to the coaches like the coaches uh, I think would probably say, you know, that was a learning experience for them. You know, Travis DeCure, so this is the first time, this, this is his first time, I mean, he's going into his eighth year, he's, he's a, as veteran as it gets in a lot of respects now. Seventh year? Seventh year. Seventh year. But, you know, at that time, his second, third year as a head coach, and this is the first time at the Division I level where he's, you know, navigating this, and I think learned a lot from that, and I think he's prepared now. I mean, he, if we know anything about Coach DeCure, and not just from watching him, I mean, almost to a person, What's what is what what stands out to you about Travis Secure? His preparation. Mm-hmm. Now, often that is in relation to a game plan. We're going to go through the walkthrough again. We're going to go through the film again. But I think it's to everything. I mean, you talk about he talked in another spot earlier today about what do you need in an incoming cl- class? You need to fill gaps, and he's talking about guys who can create. Who can, who can pull a second defender while facing the basket as opposed to having their back to the basket. That's pretty high-level, nuanced stuff that you expect a Division One coach to know, but when you're recruiting to that because you are so aware of what you have and what those guys can do, and then as you watch recruits, seeing how that will expand what you're able to do, in this case offensively, that's, that's big time. And, and I, I don't think there's a lot of coaches that do that at that level, Especially and that's preparation.
0: At the level he does it in the mid-major level, that's what makes it unique too. Yeah. A lot of coaches, including one of Travis Secure's mentors, Blaine Taylor, they run their programs very much like meritocracy, right, where you you earn your way and Mm -hmm. you you, you climb the ladder. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching Blaine Taylor's teams in the 90s, always senior heavy. A lot of times guys that were seniors and maybe weren't quite as talented as some younger guys, they still got a lot of tick. And a lot of times they played over guys like that. I think it's a tried and true way of of running a program. So I want to ask you this before we got to get out. What do you think of the fact that Travis Secure does not do that?
1: Uh, I think it's probably – I think it's it's not even old school, new school. I just think it's a shift in the evolution of the way basketball – It's kind of is. the
0: way you have to do it if you have a bunch of guys leaving lead, programs, no matter who you are, right? Because
1: it used to be before the meritocracy, and it was that to some extent. It used to be you just played in virtue of being old. Like you're a right. junior and you're a senior, so now it's your turn. Right. And you didn't still have to earn it. It was still just given to you. And now – you have to earn it over freshmen. Right. You know, over over sophomores. And if you're not prepared to do it, then then you're not prepared to play division one basketball now. And certainly not prepared to play it for for Travis DeCure. And I'm not saying there's anybody that's like that. I'm just saying that's the reality. And so in general, I, I think it's the right way to go.
0: Coach DeCure has done a better job than anybody else in the big skate conference of keeping his roster stocked full of talent no matter what. Mm. That that's a that's a plus. I just, I just sometimes just worry about the 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 chemistry of a team. I thought that there was times last year where the Grizz looked like they were flowing and playing better than at any time the previous two years, but they didn't have as good of players. They, they had. A, That's the balancing act, right? right. Like I mean, the the team, the team two years ago, a lot of times those guys actually were kind of clunky and they weren't sharing the ball, and it would be a little bit awkward. The difference was though twofold how much talent they had but also how much those guys all would di- just die to win. And so even if they did have like little spurts where they didn't look good, then somebody would just freak out on somebody else and then it would just be back locked in and then I mean, the 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 whole point was how hard they could play defense yeah that team when somebody would just get in somebody else's face and everybody would challenge each other and then all of a sudden they just go, just rip the ball out of the other team's hands and get five stops in a row and go on a 10-2 run, and then it was okay, now we're back in control. The, the floor was so
1: high for that team. Even if I mean the ceiling's very high as well, obviously. Yeah. The, but but um you know, here here's what I liken it too. If you put on a life jacket, like it's good, it helps. If you put on two or three, it's like, man, you're you're never you're barely even going below your waist. If you put on four or five it becomes dangerous because you can flip the thing over and go, but you're never going to go down if you got several life jackets on. You know what I mean? You're sitting there, and it always is going to buoy you f- no matter what. Like, one of these things is going to work. And when you got that kind of talent, it's uh, it's kind of a luxury. And, he, and Coach Cure even said this last year. Like, we had multiple guys who could just take the game over, who just said, not today. We're right. going to win today. That's it. And he said, you know, last year – probably have one guy who can really do that right. maybe too and so they had to do it as a group and by and large did and that's what's so disappointing i mean for me as a fan as a guy who you know follows this watches this uh you know to not see what that group might have done in a postseason scenario right and it's f- true for all the teams like i get it, but i think that there's something unique about Travis secures teams in the postseason because they're going to be ready and this is what they play for they know right. they know what time it is and right. they enter as a three seed they entered with two losses to north northern colorado i mean to watch a northern colorado montana matchup at any point in the postseason would have been pure joy for me I, it would have been uh fantastic and uh uh you know obviously in eastern washington who they beat twice as the number one team so there was so much intrigue in everything that didn't happen in uh you know even in our you know, scope of things in the big sky, and it's it's too bad, and that's the way it goes. So now we, we move on. We see what happens next year. Suetel, Nuanas 102.9 ESPN Radio. You haven't heard the last of Travis DeCure here today. Next hour, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Travis DeCure offers the correct answer with no hedging, and I like it very much. Next, though, Don Shula, the last and maybe only great coach of the Miami Dolphins, but Did it have to go that way? We'll discuss next.
3: At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com remote workforce to learn more.
1: Some days reading is easier than others, you know. Coulter, today it's just, you know, not going to happen for me, evidently. It's 2Tel Nuwana's, 102.9 ESPN Radio. Great to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. A birthday happening in here. Party hats. Hula hoops. Hula hoop around my waist and Coulter's head. So, that goes. Enjoy... The sunshine on a Cinco de Mayo. Happy day to all of you. Tutel Nuan is here on Twitter at Gus Tutel at 1029 ESPN and at Skyline Sports MT. If you want to check us out.
0: For those uh, wondering, I mean, the Montana Football Hall of Fame, we finally made the decision officially last night to postpone uh, till next year. We might actually have an induction for both the class of 2020 and 2021 during the year of 2021, so stay tuned for that. But our annual banquet, which usually occurs in late March, we pushed it back to June 20th, and then we just we couldn't do it. We just, we just didn't feel comfortable bringing people in from around the entire country. But for anybody wondering, there was a lot of people from around here that were really interested in this particular induction class, being that Marty Morningweg, Bob Beers, Steve Okanewski, Uh, Dan Carpenter, a bunch of former Grizz guys, and then of course Brent Musburger who's from down the Bitterroot as well. All those guys were big draws from particularly people in western Montana, particularly people in Missoula County. If you did purchase tickets, we'll make those good, or you can get a refund either way. uh, We'll make sure that that's all good and it sounds like... um, a couple other board members, of, fellow board members of mine, have contacted the airlines as well, and they're going to make any tickets for outstate people good as well. So if you have family coming in town, you can notify them. But uh, a bummer to not be able to do it. But we just last year we had almost 900 people at this banquet, and so many people come from not only all around the country but all around the world, and we just really didn't feel comfortable bringing hundreds of people, a lot of whom are. 60-plus years of age into Montana. So we'll go over the details a little bit more. But uh, disappointing to say the least, but we will continue to host it. And anybody and everybody that loves sports in Montana, I really encourage you to come to the Montana Football Hall of Fame because it's a phenomenal event filled with great stories and a lot of really cool characters that you get a chance to meet. Yeah, looking forward to getting over there for that. Uh, it'll be a, a lot of fun. We kind of just figured, you know, all these guys, one of the coolest parts about it is just going up to them and being able to shake their hand yeah, and hear their story. And if they have to be six feet apart, that just seems stupid. It just seemed like it was it was going to demean the entire point of the event. Yeah. It's just kind of just the mingling with all the people and just telling stories and having fun. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it back on track next spring. It'll be fun.
1: Um, Coulter, we talked – a fair amount yesterday about Coach Don Shula as he uh, passed away at the age of ninety yesterday, and and went through you know the history of his his life and his career. Thirty three years as a head coach in the NFL, twenty six with the Dolphins, six total Super Bowls that he coached in, won two of them, uh, you know, with Miami. But also, it's so interesting, and and there's other places like it. It's sort of, sort of biz- know, bizarre, but it, it it is it is odd in that way where. He and obviously Dan Marino, you throw them in there, kind of going in there and tandem. From the time that Don Shula retired in 1995, the Miami Dolphins have been just, you know, spinning their wheels, man. Like, you know, they I wouldn't say they've been, quote, a laughingstock or something like that. They've had some good years. They've done some, but they just haven't been anywhere close to the, you know, the team and the stability that they were with Don Shula for 26 years. And you wouldn't necessarily expect that. But again, if you talk about the number of coaches that have come and gone through that program over the years and yes, like they just are one of the other three teams in the AFC East in this millennium, like that's kind of how, how it goes. Now, maybe things are shifting a little bit over there. We'll see. I know that people are really high on the dolphins right now with, 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 both this offseason from a free agency standpoint and the draft that they've had, and they were maybe kind of an up-and-comer. We'll talk about some of that stuff at the top of the hour when we do who's getting better, who's getting worse NFL edition for the 2020 season. But um, within the context of that, our friend Ty Gregorak, uh, who knows a little something about football, said, you know, here's an interesting thing to think about. Sure.
0: Uh, As before we get into that hypothetical too, I I also was just, I was thinking about, I want to do this segment before Ty even texted us, but thanks Ty for uh, extrapolating and and emphasizing this. But I I was really thinking last night about Don Shula and about how when he was with the Baltimore Colts, uh, the offense they were running with Johnny Unitas. First of all, the fact that he got to coach Johnny Unitas and Bob Greasy and Dan Marino, completely different, but all Epic quarterbacks mm-hmm. encompassing different elements Eric. of what makes quarterbacking what, what makes you Correct. a great quarterback. Right. But you watch those old Baltimore Colts and it's 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 like a hybrid version of the wing T almost. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's archaic football. But then you watch the 1970s Dolphins and it's it's the eye formation to the T. I mean, Larry Zonka Mercury Morris just pounding people, and Bob Greasy just the consummate. I'm just going to convert on third down. We're going to get you into third and short. I'm going to convert on third down. But I just thought it was so fascinating because when you really look through the the legacies and the resumes of guys that lasted for 20 plus years for one team or even 20 plus years as a head coach, period, in the NFL, oftentimes the game pa- not oftentimes always the game passes them by at the end, and that's almost always why they have to get forced out. Whatever they did so well, oftentimes the game evolves to the point where that doesn't work anymore. That is the thing that I would say is Don Shula's biggest feather in his cap more than any other coach that's ever coached in the in National Football League because he went from the, the Johnny Unitas old-school archaic offense to the ground-and-pound I formation to then a decade after going undefeated with that style. I mean, Dan Marino throwing for 5,084 yards in 1984 would be like somebody throwing for like 7,000 yards today. Well, I, this is exactly
1: what I was going to say. I
0: mean, he, Dan Marino, I'm, I'm going to give you his stat line right here. He threw 564 passes, which was 100 more passes than anybody had ever thrown in a season. He threw for 5,084 yards, 317 yards a game. This is back when people were throwing for 117 yards a That's game. That's right. 48 touchdowns. I mean, if you extrapolate this, if you put that into perspective with what everybody else was doing in the NFL – This is this would be like if Patrick Mahomes threw for like sixty five hundred yards and sixty five touchdowns next
1: year. Well, it would be, but you know, I think the way I think about it isn't even like you know doing the uh, you know the money over time thing and the increased value. Sure. They, this is the reason football became what it is now. This is this is the Steph Curry stepping out to knock down four hundred and three pointers. It was Dan Marino, and yes, it's the talent of Dan Marino, yep. which you can't replicate, but it's also the innovation of Don yep. Shula who
0: pushed the game to where it now is. And they had the courage to push it to the edge. And then the Niners were the one the 49ers under Bill Walsh were the ones that, that made it spread. Right. Because what the Dolphins were doing in the eighties was not just spreading you out, but gripping it and ripping it too. But then Marino, although he was fantastic for the whole rest of the decade, he threw so many picks. And that's what the Niners, that's what the 49ers, that's what the West Coast offense mitigate was. Mitigated, yeah. You bring it in and you make it more safe. You run all these short crossing routes, and then Joe Montana's just diamond you apart. Mm-hmm. But you you like you're saying, you mitigate the risk of the turnover.
1: Right. Um so let's go back to the Miami Dolphins and what they mm-hmm. have been. Mm-hmm. And here is the hypothetical. Well, it's not a hypo. Well, it is a hypothetical in the following sense. It's not in this sense. Nick Saban was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Y'all remember that? Remember that happened? And the fedora was wandering around South Beach, looking very out of place up against uh, seafoam green and hot orange. You know, he is coming off. I don't know if it was the year after he won the the, the national championship with LSU, or if it was a you know a year or two a, uh, down the road. But he leaves the coaching ranks and goes to college. Now, at this time, it felt to me... this is not He's not the first person to go from college to the pros, you know, as a head coach. But this felt to me like there are... It, it's one thing to go from the NFL to the college ranks as a coach, but to go the other direction, I think there's some some NFL players where you kind of got to earn it with them at some level until you've proven it in the league particularly at this time, if Nick Saban went to the NFL right now, he would command the absolute respect of every single dude in every locker room across all 32 teams, no question. But even at, with a national championship in his belt, when he went to Miami, he wasn't Nick Saban like we know now, okay? He wasn't five, is was it five or six Bama championships? No, but he did have a
0: national championship underneath. He, he had no, won, he
1: had yeah. won, but it's it's... Okay, it's like okay, he was the hot commodity in coaching because he'd won a national championship, and it's like, hey, let's go get this guy. Right, and he—I don't—I won't say he, but the the Dolphins were not
0: good while he was there. Well, and then I mean, they they were nine and seven his first year. Okay, and they just missed the playoffs. Hurricane Katrina was that year, Mm. and so that that cost a lot of teams in that little region a couple home games each. I mean, I think that they had to play at neutral sites against the Panthers and the. Saints and that I've, that maybe had a little bit of an impact but to me and then they went six and ten in this in the second year and then yep. he was out but to me it was just a domino because Drew Brees that's when the shoulder injury had happened right like they were they were going to sign Drew Brees and then he had just been cut by the Chargers and they were they were about he to wasn't th- cut by the Chargers he got traded for Phillip Rivers to the Saints no yes no, Philip Rivers did not play for the Saints. What are you talking about?
1: Or the fit, they they took Philip Rivers. No, no, Drew Brees no the wasn't Chargers play for the Chargers.
0: Drew Brees played for the Chargers for one year, or two years, two years. But, but then he, he had just been released by the Chargers for. I mean, I'm reading I'm reading his Wikipedia right now. All right. Well, if it's on Wikipedia, but they they he failed his physical in Miami, mm-hmm. and then they signed Dante Culpepper, who at the time. Was a multiple time all pro quarterback.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then people realized that he, he it's had Randy Moss easy, to catch. Football. Pretty easy to an all pro quarterback. I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about that the other day. I think it was Ryan Russillo was talking about, I think he said, Do you think Dante Cole, he asked Bill Simmons, Do you think Dante Culpepper ever sits there and thinks, Man, I really wasn't that good. I could just chuck it to Randy Moss. Because like Randy <laughs> Moss back then was just stupid. All you had to do was just chuck it up. But it's easy. But then, I mean, you talk about okay. What if they would have signed Drew Brees? Okay, who? What could have happened? But what if Culpeper wouldn't have been a bust? What if Joey Harrington wouldn't have been a bust? I mean, by the time that all the dominoes were done falling in Saban's second NFL season, he was starting Cleo Lemon. Like, what? What are we supposed to do here? Yeah, yeah. it's all hindsight's twenty twenty for sure. But you just wonder. I mean, what if their doctors would have cleared Drew Brees, and then Nick Saban and Drew Brees can work together for a team that was almost in the playoffs the year before? You just you just never know.
1: You never know. And Nick Saban's a great coach, uh, obviously. Okay, I also think if you know football, you know football. But I mean, I think there's just such a drastic difference between college and pro
0: coaching because there is. Well, but also and also though, they never imagine if Saban would have had the same role as Belichick. In the yeah. fact that he could have constructed his roster, having a guy that's used to forming teams by being the one that controls the roster yeah. is so essential, and yeah. that's where I think I mean because it wasn't even as if Saban got fired; he was just out. He, he,
1: wanted, just, he wanted
0: to go. He back. wanted back to college. Yep, yeah. yeah, that's right. And so I think that's part of it, though, is because he knew he knew I want to build my culture with my type of guys. Exactly, but I, I mean that's that's
1: the thing. It's not about being a great football coach per se, but I mean his his great ability is to get pretty much every guy that he wants he's finally got some competition in that realm actually but for about 5 6 years Nick Saban was just pull whatever fish out of the pond that he decided that he wanted to be you know in, in, in crimson playing for him and you can't do that in the even if you control the roster you can't do that right it's a draft you got to wait your turn and then you get a pick whoever's left. You don't get to go get the 10 best dudes. And so, you know, not to say that that's what makes Saban great. He's a great coach for a lot of other reasons. But sure. great recruiting is part of being a great coach at the college level. Just is. And why he is, I mean, he's not, he's not the guy where you go, obviously, everybody wants to play for Saban. Dabo Sweeney's the guy that you say that right. about. But he he created the culture, and again, it's all about the path to the NFL and 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 doing all that stuff, and and he he built it. He had the pedigree for it, and he's done it. I would just say this. If he would have stayed at Miami, they would have been much better than what they've been, there's no doubt. Also, Saban would not nearly have been as good as he was going to Alabama. Like, there's no way you'd be better than what you were at Alabama for a decade.
0: Totally, and the other thing about Nick Saban, too, though, is that his philosophies and his system – until Jalen Hurts walked on the Alabama campus, Nick Saban had never really had a great quarterback at the college level. Right. I mean, they won national title at LSU and multiple national titles at Alabama with guys like Matt Mock and, and you know... Greg McElroy, Greg McElroy yeah. and A.J. McCarron. I mean, I guess A.J. McCarron's been in the NFL, but he's not like an elite guy got in the NFL. Got
1: some tats, too. Got all sleeved up, but, McCarron.
0: But uh, I think that would have been the other, the other part that Saban would have had to figure out because that's the stark difference, right? You can win... With your quarterback being your 27th best player on a college team, you cannot in the NFL.
1: Susail Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Good hypotheticals, fun conversation. And then yet another tip of the cap to Coach Don Shula and what he was, what he did for the game, and represented to uh, so many. We'll take a quick break on the other side. What does it mean, or what would it take for more? high school kids in the state of montana to go the jc route doesn't happen very often it is happening for one prep star this forthcoming year we'll tell you who and what next
3: At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more.
1: Two hundred and ninety Radio. Not many athletes from the state of Montana go from high school to the junior college ranks, but should they? Let's talk about it because one young athlete is. It's Tutel tail and it is time for our Prep Extra segment. It's brought to us by Farmer State Bank. Farmer State Bank. Your Montana bank established in 1907. Here for you today and all of your tomorrows. By the way, you can start any loan or mortgage application online at FarmersEBank.com. Uh, Colter Julius Mims, an outstanding athlete mm-hmm. from Billings Skyview. He was a standout basketball player, six-seven forward. Averaged 12 points a game last season as well as 9 rebounds and a state-leading 2 blocks per game. And as you're always telling me, and I think it's true here, good basketball player, elite track athlete, elite, high jumping, what, 6'10"? He's one of the greatest high jumpers in Montana history, yep. So, you know, a phenomenal athlete all the way around, played for Skyview, who is the co-state champions, by the way, for boys basketball. Obviously, we never got to see the uh, the culmination of, of that either this past season, but I would say a leaper is a fair assessment of Julius Mims. Julius Mims has decided that he is going to go to a junior college. Colter, tell him where Julius Mims is headed to this next well, season. He's going,
0: going to Northern Idaho College, NIC in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And the reason I bring this up is, first of all, I mean, good for Julius Mims. I mean, if I'm not, I mean, not going to speculate on what a kid should or should not do. Of course you are. If he he's, can do track, you should do he, track. He should That's do track. what you think, should do track. Yes. But, but – the fact is he's a really raw basketball player that has an unbelievable amount of upside. Mm-hmm. And football a little bit, but basketball more than any other sport. I think that so often Division One coaches, they don't recruit Montana because if you, you can't really go to a game in Montana and see a bunch of D1 guys, right. whereas you can go to games... I mean, when when most you're usually going to see maybe
1: two, maybe three guys at the most, maybe. But really, it's probably one guy. So are you going to go to Haver from Minnesota? No, whatever. No,
0: exactly. But if you're like if you're the Montana Grizzlies, you're recruiting Josh Vasquez. You walk into Bishop Montgomery, and you the entire every guy you watch is a Division one player. So it's just way more worth your resources, especially as mid major schools. Yeah, just recruit bigger areas. That said, I think that there's a lot of guys that get overlooked in Montana that have incredible upside in basketball specifically. First of all, I think that the basketball is a lot basketball's underrated in Montana because even though you don't have a bunch of D1 guys, you have a bunch of incredibly skilled kids because they grow up playing in these rural places where they get all the playing time so they get a chance to get so much better. And so, I mean, you can go to rec center runs all over the state of Montana. There's a bunch of dudes that can play. They might not have D1 bodies, but they have great skill. And there's also not the the uniformity of skill sets. I mean, you have a lot of guys with funky games, but that's why, I mean, like city leagues in Missoula and Bozeman and Billings and stuff are so fun. Cause you have all these guys from all over the place that are, you know, from their class C all-stars that yeah. just, they could just fill it up even if they're, you know, just unorthodox style players, but that's her door there. I just have thought that there's usually in Montana, there's zero to two, Division one guys. And I always thought there was more like four or five every year. Not a crazy amount, but there's a lot of guys that could do it. The guys that usually get an opportunity are the guys that come from families that have parents that can help them get on AU team so they can get out and get recruited in the spring. You look at a guy like Mac Anderson. Mac Anderson didn't even play on varsity when he's a junior. He's a JV player. And then he grew a bunch over the summer and then played on a AAU team. And all of a sudden, then he has offers from Montana, Montana State, and Air Force by the time he's heading into his senior year. Okay, you got Kendall Manuel. Hardly get any sniff from either Montana or Montana State. He goes on the AAU circuit, atypical strategy, after his senior year, the spring of his senior year, and he gets an offer from Oregon State. But Raquan Evans is the, the best example of this. Raquan Evans was – there were some questions about his academics. There were some questions about his D1 abilities. Coming out of building Skyview, well, he goes to NIC his sophomore year. He blows up and becomes a national-level recruit, and now he's playing at Florida State. Is he a starter? No, but he gets a ton of playing time. He, I mean, he scores buckets in the ACC. So, like, I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing for a kid from Montana. But I just think that there's such an opportunity for kids to go to these two-year schools and develop, and I just, I think Julius Mims is an example of this. But a kid like Cam LaRance, for example, who's from Missoula Hellgate, right. he's going to Montana Tech. Good for him. I think he'll be a great player in the Frontier Conference. But I just think the kid has a ton of potential. I loved him when I went and watched him play live a couple times. If he went to a JC, I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to get you know a big sky offer or something like that. Look at Layden Ricketts. Layden Ricketts coming out of high school, great Montana Class A player. He wasn't a D1 guy coming out of high school. Yeah, he was a Frontier guy. But he went to a junior college in Wyoming and he became a D1 guy. And then he gets to go back home. He's from Livingston and play for his hometown Montana State Bobcats. That's cool. I just I I wish that I I I I don't I think there's just a disconnect because I don't think that. Montana kids they don't I don't think they know that they can do that's, it
1: see I think that is the rub to me there's no there's no JC circuit in the state of right. Montana but like and why so, not go to NIC well why not go to NIC anyway Period, right? a decade at right. NIC i right. be very
0: right. happy thank you very I mean, much I had a couple of buddies that went to NIC for soccer and they both got out and then went and played like low level D1 in California but I totally. mean what a cool experience
1: right but, but I think that's exactly the point like the 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 pat, the only thing that you know is that you go from high school and then you go play in college right. or you know whatever and so if that means it's the frontier conference or, or the big sky conference or or the Pac twelve but those are your options the idea of a JC isn't even I think in the psyche of many of these kids and frankly I think many of the coaches like I don't know that right. many of the coaches or parents. Have that as like a viable option. I think that it is sort of looked at as like, oh, well, this is where the reclamation projects go to figure it out. But that just ain't the case. It is in some cases. And whether that is, you know, a behavior thing, an academic thing or whatever it might be. And that's good to have a place where they can you can go get into a new context and get on whatever path it is you need to be on to be successful. But also it's just to get yourself ready to go to to play. At the next level or at another level of collegiate sports too, and it's very viable to do that, and can be a great experience within itself. So I, you know, I, I, I'm with you on that, and I, do, I just don't think it probably has enough exposure because for some kids in certain circumstances, it would be a, a perfect decision. It seems
0: like. And I guess that's my point. I hope Raekwon Evans has been a trailblazer mm. in this, and I think that I don't think it's a coincidence that Julius Mims is from the same high school as Raekwon right. Evans. The path has now been shown that you can do it, and I just hope that some more kids take advantage of it. Because the fact of the matter is that, first of all, Coral Lane's an awesome town. Second of all, NIC is a good junior college, just academically and stuff. It's, I mean, it's 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 better than a lot of the, you know, because like you are saying, a lot of them do have bad reputations mm-hmm. for academics, but NIC is a good one. You get to live on Lake Coeur d'Alene. But also, NIC is a powerhouse right now. I mean, they are pumping out multiple D1 guys every year. So maybe it is a new path for kids from Montana. I hope it is.
1: To tell who 102.9 ESPN Radio. This is our Farmer's State Bank prep extra segment. Farmer's State Bank, your Montana bank since 1907. Online at FarmersEBank.com. Also, download the Farmer's State Bank mobile app. You can check your balances, transfer funds easily and securely on your phone with Farmer's State Bank Mobile's at mobile app. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, who's going to be better? Who's going to be worse? Who's going to be the most better and the most worse? Bad English, good sports talk next.
0: It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear